Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. As you're listening to this episode of Weather Geeks, the American Meteorological Society's annual meeting will be going on in Boston. These large gatherings only happen once a year, but this year is something special. It's the 100th meeting of the AMS, commonly called the Centennial. As I was the former president of the AMS and had to work through the logistics of organizing this wonderful meeting with some of the greatest weather and climate minds in the country, I wanted to make a quick episode to highlight all the AMS has to offer in the meteorology field and to you, the public, as well. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and thank you for joining us for Weather Geeks. And You know, one of the things that I often say about the AMS annual meeting, I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're a weather geek or you're a weather enthusiast, put this on your bucket list. Everyone who does weather, who thinks weather, who breathes weather, who's just fascinated by weather should make it a bucket list item to attend an AMS annual meeting. You don't have to be a meteorologist or working in the field. There are plenty of things going on that uh, appeal to the public. And so I wanted to take this opportunity in the Weather Geeks podcast to just expose and discuss aspects of the AMS meeting. But before I do that, did you notice something that I said in the opening of the meeting Of the um, podcast I should mention, AMS is in Boston, Massachusetts in the middle of January. I want to let you marinate on that for a second. In the middle of January, why would the nation's premier or largest weather society schedule its meeting in Boston? In the middle of January. Well, there is an answer to that. And let me talk about it. The American Meteorological Society is based in Boston, Massachusetts. If you ever get a chance to visit Boston, it's located at 45 Beacon Street right there uh, near the Boston Common, very historical area of Boston. And for this special 100th meeting, uh, the organization thought it would be neat to bring the annual meeting to Boston. Typically, these meetings are held in very warm climate places like New Orleans or Atlanta or Phoenix, Austin, Texas. But this year, it's Boston. So uh, as we're uh, talking about the podcast, the meeting is ongoing. But as I'm taping this podcast, it looks as though the situation will be quite good weather-wise. In fact, uh, I talked to Eric Fisher, a meteorologist in Boston, and he says we might be in the midst of what he calls the Boston thaw. Um, high pressure is going to dominate. They're uh, en route to the meeting. Uh, I, I'm sure some people had some stormy weather. There's a, a stormy weather pattern uh, moving into the eastern uh, U.S. at the time of the uh, meeting starting uh, or had started. But High pressure is going to be the rule, as we say in meteorology. It's going to dominate. And so uh, AMS caught a break in terms of having its meeting because climatologically, certainly there could have been uh, 
a nor'easter or a blizzard to um, uh, sort of halt things or shut things down. I, I remember uh, there's been this notion that AMS itself has a weather curse on on places that it has its meeting. Uh, when I was president of the AMS uh, in 2013, we hosted the meeting in Atlanta. The meeting happened two weeks after the epic snowpocalypse here in Georgia. And so we we dodged the a bullet there. Uh, I remember a meeting in San Antonio, Texas. I attended the AMS. There was a freak ice storm and severely limited the number of people that could come to that meeting. And there have been other epic meetings where um, that weather actually caused problems for the meeting. So there's this lore, this myth of the AMS curse on the weather. But having said all of that, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what actually happens at an AMS meeting. So I want you to pause for a second as you're listening to this Weather Geeks podcast and think about what AMS means to you. When you hear the word AMS or hear American Meteorological Society, what comes to mind? I'm going to give you a chance to think about that. Now, for some of you, you may see your local TV meteorologist with the AMS certified by their name when you watch the weather. That means that they have the certified broadcast meteorology seal from the AMS. Others of you may not really know what the AMS does. So let, let me tell you, let me give you a little 101 on the AMS because it's not just the TV meteorologist. I think a lot of people may be familiar with the TV meteorology aspect of our field and they see the AMS seals and broadcast uh, certified broadcast meteorology stamp. AMS is a very broad based, comprehensive professional society. I don't know what your job is, what you work in, but I bet there's a professional society, uh, the American Dental Association or the National Bar Association. There is some professional society that aligns with whatever your profession may be. Well, for meteorologists, it's the AMS. Now, we also have the National Weather Association, the NWA, which is NWA, which is a, another professional organization uh, aligned with weather. Uh, I, I want to focus on AMS today because it's the largest organization, about 13 to 14,000 members across the spectrum of meteorology, climate, hydrology, and more. And it really deals with things you may not think about. So for one thing, it certifies broadcast meteorologists. That's, I think, the most apparent thing for the public. The American Meteorological Society also publishes some of the most uh, significant journals in the weather and climate field. It has a policy program that informs policymakers on weather and climate issues of the day and issues policy statements, has an educational arm that provides information and lessons and programming and training for K through 12 teachers. Um, it's a large organization. So at this meeting, which starts on Saturday, by the way, I know we have meteorology students that listen to this podcast. So on the Saturday before the main meeting, there's a student conference, and this student conference has grown tremendously uh, in the last several years. I believe seven, eight hundred students come to this now, uh, and it's held on the Saturday and Sunday before the AMS meeting begins. Uh, there's also a conference for early career professionals. Um, a lot of times people see these professional societies as for the old stodgy members of the field that have been around uh, and you know are a little bit out of touch. And candidly, let me keep it real here on the podcast. 
That's true. Uh, a lot of these professional societies are targeted to the more senior members of the communities. And so the AMS set up something called the uh, AMS Board of Early Career Professionals. And so they are hosting a meeting. And so they would have hosted that meeting the weekend prior to you hearing this, if you're listening to this on the Wednesday of the release of the podcast. But then on Sunday, that's where the meeting really kicks off. And again, I want to reiterate this. You have to add the AMS annual meeting to your bucket list. First of all, there's the AMS Weather Fest, which is ongoing on the Sunday before the meeting. It's a big public event. Uh, I'm sure people from all over Boston came out because the weather is going to be warm. Hopefully the rain had moved out by that point. And they're just exhibits after exhibits. And you can meet your favorite TV meteorologists and to do hands-on activities with National Weather Service and other organizations and companies that will be present. So that typically happens on the Sunday before and then the annual meeting of the AMS. Actually, there is a business meeting where uh, people receive awards and so forth. But then we shift to Monday and from Monday to Thursday, there are a series of conferences within the larger conference. That's, That's something that may be a little bit different for some of you that have been to a conference. Because within the larger AMS meeting, there are about 30 conferences, the Broadcast Meteorology Conference, the Satellite Conference, uh, Tropical, just various uh, disciplines have conferences and scientists and students and so forth present their work. This is this is the body of science. Let me talk about that for a moment. Since since I have commandeered the mic, I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia going solo on this Weather Geek special edition podcast on the AMS. Let me talk about science for a moment. When we do science, scientists actually do research, publish our results, present our results at conferences like this. Now, we're in the era of social media where you'll see all types of social media opinions about weather and climate and forecast and, oh, we're going to have a snowstorm three weeks out when we know that the models can't be relied upon that far out. This is why you have to be careful with social media and apps. When we do science, it has to be evaluated among peers. And so that's what the peer-reviewed scientific literature does. Uh, scientists will submit a paper to peer-reviewed journals, and they are anonymously reviewed by reviewers. I often call it the FDA of science. I mean, I mean, my, my, my 12-year-old son could go into the kitchen and get a bunch of ammonia and cleaning solution and vinegar and mix something up and say, hey, Dad, I've, cu- I've, I've made a solution to cure headaches. Would you drink that? I wouldn't because it hasn't gotten FDA approval. And that's what the peer review process is in science. It it allows us to vet science because anybody can say anything about science, weather and climate. But associated with that are conferences like the AMS. It's where scientists can go and present their early preliminary findings or even more mature findings and have questions asked for that to be evaluated. So that's one of the most important aspects of the American Meteorological Society meeting. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
and we are back on this special edition of the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, and I'm talking about the AMS Centennial in Boston. We released this right in the midst of the AMS meeting, which is happening right now in Boston. And the AMS has been around for 100 years. And Dr. Jenny Evans, who we've had on a previous version of Weather Geeks, is the centennial president to my colleague from Penn State University. And I know she has planned a very special meeting, uh, really sort of looking back on how far weather science and forecasting and technology has come and how things are interconnected as we move forward in the future. So uh, I know that the, that there's a real sort of theme trickling through the meeting here in Boston and, and beyond. Uh, doctor, I'm sorry, I don't know if she's a doctor or not, but Gina McCarthy, the former EPA administrator, was one of the keynote uh, presidential forum speakers. Uh, she navigated the EPA at a time of challenge when we are we're dealing with climate change and dealing with uh, uh, changes in water and flip water crisis and all kinds of other things have happened under the EPA's watch. And so it's important to understand that we get at the AMS. I often tell my students that go to the AMS, you could be walking the halls and chit-chatting with someone that wrote your textbook or heads the National Weather Service or the EPA. And that's one of the things that that's so exciting about a large meeting like this. Everyone's there. I mean, private companies, the weather company, the weather channel, AccuWeather, Boeing. There's a large exhibit hall. And if you just again, I'm going to I said this three times. I might say it four or five. Put this on your bucket list, because just going to the exhibit hall alone at an AMS conference is worth it, because there are it's a if you've ever been to one of these large convention centers, they have a large wing of the convention center and there are companies they are giving away all kinds of swag. Uh, you'll leave there with keychains and squeezy balls for stress and pins, but some really cool things, too. I mean, it's you know, those are the typical swag items, but I've seen T-shirts and, you know, um, you know, thumb drives and all kinds of things. But you also get to interact with these companies, find out what they do, uh, their career fairs. Heck, a few years ago, we even taped uh, the Weather Geeks TV show live, several episodes there at the AMS in the exhibit hall. And it was a sight to be seen just to have all these people there watching the Weather Geeks. So it's so much going on at an AMS conference uh, that I, I just can't emphasize how important conferences like this are. So the producers wanted me to share this question and answer it. Why should you go to an AMS? What benefits does it offer to you as a meteorologist or even someone that maybe isn't a meteorologist? Well, if you're in the field of meteorologists, you should just go. I don't I, I can't give an answer of why. I mean, you're in a profession. You need to stay abreast of the the, the latest science, the latest developments. It's an opportunity to interact with colleagues, maybe forge new partnerships. There have been new research projects that I have developed from just interacting with people in in the hallways or at dinner at an AMS that led to sort of major research or, or partnerships or collaborations. But in whatever you do, whatever your career, you you should just engage in your professional society. Um, it, they they do things that are sort of beyond sort of your personal development. There are many personal development aspects of being involved 
in a professional society or going to a professional society meeting. But the big picture, uh, I know that when there are, are issues or sort of things that are going on in the weather field or in the climate field, the AMS will often speak out on behalf of the community and its membership. It's important to have that type of voice. I remember, for example, a couple of years ago, there was a government shutdown and it was significantly affecting National Weather Service employees. The AMS spoke out. I spoke out as president because the National Weather Service, uh, you know, those folks were working. There were National Weather Service meteorologists that were walking to work through snow and doing things because they were considered essential employees. They had to be there, but they weren't getting paid. And now eventually they did get paid. But the point is the National Weather Service is a one billion dollar a year agency. It's one of the most significant bargains we have in the federal system. It's basically the price of a cup of coffee for every American citizen. But just think about the things that the National Weather Service provides, how important weather forecasts are for business, our personal decisions, aviation travel, energy, national security, and so forth. So if you are a part of uh, a professional field that touches meteorology, water, climate, and related, you, you should just go. Now, if you're a weather enthusiast, you should also go. Why? Because you can learn about the latest science in weather and climate. You can meet some people that perhaps you interact with on social media, have wanted to meet or have read their textbook or wondered how they thought about things. And don't be afraid. And this is something for students also. Don't be afraid to walk up to Louis Uccellini, the National Weather Service Director, or Neil Jacobs, the Interim Director of NOAA, or someone from IBM. People at AMS tend to be receptive to you just coming up and introducing themselves and whatnot. It's not this kind of environment where you should feel sort of inhibited from interacting with people. I think that's one of the primary points of the meeting. Now, I want to sort of draw this special edition podcast to a close with uh, what advice I would give someone that wants to become a, an AMS officer or president. Now, this is a little inside the park question here for the meteorology community, but it's an important one because I find that people often think being on the AMS council, these sort of governing positions or being president, it's sort of an inside job. Oh, I could never do that. That's the AMS. The AMS is not the AMS, as I've often said. The AMS is our AMS. So if you're a member of the AMS and you can be a member as an associate member or a full member and they're corporate members, it's our AMS and the AMS is always looking for volunteers on various boards and committees. And by becoming engaged in those boards and committees, uh, you can sort of learn the organization and eventually uh, put yourself in a position for some of these, you know, sort of higher end positions, if you will. But there's no sort of secret passcode or uh, anything that you need to know. Just just engage, become active. If you want to be, become active and you have questions about it, email me, tweet me, and I can put you in contact with the right people because, I mean, I'm still very much connected. But I want to sort of just send shout out and kudos to everyone that has planned this AMS meeting. There's a program committee, a planning committee, and then there's a large program committee that puts all the meetings together. 
people always are curious about the AMS meetings and how we end up at the locations. If you on the AMS's website, you can look and see where the AMS meeting is going to be 15 to 20 years from now because of uh, the Claudia Gorski and her staff at the AMS and executive director Keith Sider. They actually have us have this down to a science in terms of the number of hotel beds per uh, square mile or whatnot, how many nonstop flights come into that city, the climate. There is a, a set of guidelines that are used to determine where these meetings are held. Um, there's a lot of work behind the scene works from the staff, by the people planning these conferences, by the overall program and planning committee getting keynote speakers and whatnot. So there's quite a bit involved in the logistics of putting on a meeting like that, but it's all done uh, for the sake of science and for the sake of building collaboration. So uh, before we get out of here, um, it is that special time where we recognize this episode's Geek of the Week. And I'm so excited about it, I almost lost my breath there for a second. But the Geek of the Week this week is John Wetter of Maple Grove, Minnesota. John is the president of Spotter Network, which brings storm spotters, storm chasers, coordinators, and public servants together in a seamless network of information. He is also a leader in winter weather communications between the National Weather Service and school districts. From one president to another, John, thank you for the work you do and for being a weather geek. Now, if you know someone that you think is deserving of the candidacy of being the next Geek of the Week, check out our social media pages on Twitter and Facebook. And hopefully I'll run into John at this week's AMS conference. Now, this has been a special sort of edition of the uh, Weather Geeks podcast. I want to end it by saying continue to tune in, folks. I have seen the lineup of our guests for the next two months. You are in for a very special treat. Thank you for continuing to geek out with us on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and let's geek out for 2020. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.